Welcome to The Real Housewives of Riverdale, the podcast where grown-ass adults take sexy teen murder mysteries just as seriously as you do. I'm your host, Cherie, and I know I'm super late with this podcast and this recap. I know it's been like two weeks, three weeks maybe, since my last season one recap, but it's been nuts around here, and so I've kind of used the hiatus from season two. It was It's only been a two-week hiatus, but I've been using it to catch up on other stuff because it's... Whew, trying to be everything to everybody is a lot like a lot a lot but anyway tonight I'm joining you solo I had planned on having my friend Ashley Sharp not to be confused with friend of the podcast Ashley Johnson who has co-hosted several times but anyway Sharp is a big Molly Ringwald fan and even though she doesn't watch Riverdale I thought it would be super fun if she watched the, just this episode all on its own it made some like wild theories but her youngest daughter had to have an emergency tonsillectomy last week and the poor babe is in a ton of pain and she needs her mama so you know maybe I can convince her to watch like the whole series this summer or something or seasons one and two um, but, and we can get her on at a later time and maybe another heavy Molly Ringwald episode, but I'll just start sending her pictures of like shirtless ski or whisper Luke Perry into her ear while we're eating lunch or whatever. But anyway, she's freaking hilarious. So I hope she gets to join me on the pod eventually. Any hoodle <laughs> today, you fine person with your fancy earbuds and I will be discussing, discussing discussing Riverdale season one episode 11 chapter 11 to Riverdale and back again we'll discuss the source of that title later on in segments as it, it actually ties into the Archie universe for once um but since this is a flashback recap we're gonna we're gonna do this kind of weird tonight we're gonna recap it in larger swaths as there's a definite like a b and c plot in this episode and it, it gets kind of convoluted if you try to do scene by scene because it, it bounces back and forth so much. So we're just going to kind of cover like the major plots. Also, before we get started, um, since the last time I talked to you, Riverdale got, Riverdale got renewed for season three. I'm super excited. I don't know about you guys, but I was real stressing that it wasn't going to happen. I mean, Looking back now, I feel silly for even worrying about it because, like, I mean, obviously, there are, like, clothing lines <laughs> dedicated to this show, so they'd have been real dumb to not try to cash in when they can, but I, I was getting kind of worried. I was like, oh, I guess we're going to have to change this to uh, Real Housewives of Greendale and recap Sabrina because <laughs> I don't know what to do. Um... It's now that I've bought all this podcast equipment and the show that I'm podcasting is going up the air, but it's not. We can all take a, a big, relaxing, deep breath. <sighs> it's coming back. <laughs> we are not done. Okay, so the episode starts off with what is apparently the school song, All Hail Riverdale, which you can get the full version of on iTunes. 
should you so choose to want to hear that. And it is sung by none other than Josie and the Pussycats. And, like, do you think they have to do this every morning before announcements or just for homecoming? Because that would be a lot to, <laughs> to do five days a week, every week, you know? Um, anyway, this is followed up by our favorite narrator, Jughead, who's all alone in the school gym, just tappy-typing away on his, his laptop, because he's, you know, he's a weirdo, he's a loner. Anyway, Jughead is explaining homecoming, and so for our international listeners who maybe don't have homecoming as, like, a common practice in your home country, here in the good old U.S. of A., I say that ironically for the most part. Homecoming is a weekend usually in football season, so the autumn semester of school, where people who have moved away, like Mary Andrews, will come back to support the current football team on Friday night, where a homecoming king and queen are crowned on the football field, like in formal wear during halftime. I've seen a lot of girls sink their mom's good heels into those fields, all in the name of popularity. But anyway, and then there is a dance for the whole school on Saturday night. And a lot of schools will hold their like 10 and 20 year reunions this weekend. So the adults will have their own party to attend on Saturday. And they don't have to come to the dance and watch whatever heathen dance the kids are doing now. I mean, honest to God, I'm pretty sure in my day I saw girls get impregnated at some of my school dances. I'm not so sure it could be worse now, but it seems like it always does. But anyway, here in Texas, because we have to be extra about everything, we have homecoming mums and garters. So we do homecoming up big. When, when I moved to Florida, like, homecoming was, it was kind of lame. Like, we had, like, fun dress-up days during the week, and there was a pep rally. And, but basically, it, it was just another football game. But in Texas, it's, like, the pinnacle of football season until you get into playoffs. It is a big deal. So what homecomings and mums are... They, um, it's kind of hard to explain, but like the girls make these oftentimes giant homecoming mums that they wear in their shirt on homecoming Friday. And so you take a silk chrysanthemum, like you find at Michael's or Hobby Lobby or whatever craft store you go to, and you then hot glue ribbons and trinkets and like sometimes teddy bears even to it. And it's common that if you're going steady with someone and like a cisgendered heteronormative relationship um the boy will quote unquote make (laughs) your mom with his mom so his mom makes it and the girl will make the garter which is very similar to a mom in that it looks like a craft store threw up in your school's colors but it's like on a big scrunchie that the boys wear in their arms so kind of like like at a wedding the bride wears a garter that the groom tosses that's a thing we do here um this one they wear on their arm and it'll have like like a teddy bear in a football uniform hot glued to it and maybe their name and some like cowbells like teeny tiny cowbells and stuff on it so it jingles when everywhere you go it's a thing it's a whole thing <laughs> we do um but since yours truly was not allowed to date my parents were such fools fools i tell you 
<laughs> there was no way a boy could gift me with a mom and my parents not find out. So my freshman year, um, my dad, oh, I had my dad order. Um, I had him order a fairly simple one from our florist. Like the flower part was still fake and everything, but it was like very well crafted. And then my sophomore year, my mom took me to Michael's and let me pick out anything I wanted to make my own. And I think she assumed this would save money, but of course we spent like four times the amount of the one I purchased from the florist. And this bitch had three big flowers in a vertical line, each with a letter on it spelling CHS, because my school started with a C in high school, you know, so CHS. And they were red, white, and blue mums because my school colors were red and blue and it's a military town. So everything is like super patriotic and lame. Um, their, our colors were scarlet and Air Force blue because I was an Air Force town. <laughs> um, and there were like ribbons that had stickers on it that spelled my name, class of 04, all kinds of shit. Um, I had like paw prints and tiny megaphones and like those tiny cowbells. And anyway, this thing was so big, there were not enough safety pins to keep it from ripping my cheerleading uniform. So I had to put it on a hanger and just carry it around like an asshat at school. <laughs> but like, I worked hard on it. I wasn't just going to stuff it in my locker. Like, I wanted everyone to see this. <laughs> so I just held it up in front of me and walked around school like an idiot. Oh, God. And then we moved to Florida after that school year, so I never got to make her, like, be gifted another homecoming month. But damn, if I didn't display that sophomore year one in my room with, like, this pipe cleaner tiara that our cheerleading coach made for all of us. So every time I had a friend over in my bedroom in Florida, they would ask if I was the homecoming queen at my old school because I had this, like, giant display of school spirit and ribboness and, you know, the tiara and everything. And it was... <laughs> It was very nice to be like, who, me? Oh, no, not not silly little me, but it's nice to think that. <laughs> I would think maybe I was, I was cool enough <laughs> to actually be homecoming queen at my old school, which, of course, I mean, I was like a total plebe, but... Anyway, my husband, who you heard on the last season one episode, was legitimately homecoming king at his school... And I mean, granted, there were only like 13 kids in his entire senior class and like five of them were boys, but whatever. It's an accomplishment. The picture's still up on his mom's fridge. 34, well, not 34 years later, but he is 34. So I guess, damn, like 17, 16, 17 years later? I don't know. Someone check them out. <laughs> but anyway, that's kind of cool. Oh, right, Riverdale. <laughs> That's why we're here. We're not here to talk about my high school um, past. So anyway, it's homecoming, and there are past students in the halls looking at the trophy case and, like, hearkening back to their youths when everything was, like, all bobby socks and poodle skirts, and it looks a lot like the Archie comics that come to mind when we think of our pals and gals. And it's it's kind of sweet. I, I like that scene. Archie's mom, Molly Ringwald, um, Mary Andrews, whatever you want to call her, <laughs> is back and she's going to catch a lot of shit from the townies who never escaped this Pleasantville Twilight Zone of a town. 
But over breakfast, she asks Archie if he knows why she came home. And he's like, uh, because I drunk down my dad and we needed a good celebrity cameo for ratings. But no, she came back because when she left, the reason why she let Archie stay in Riverdale instead of going to Chicago with her is because she thought he'd be safer in Riverdale. But now kids are getting murdered and shit. So who even knows? Archie's like, look, don't pay attention to the murder and scandal and all that. Pay attention to how cool my friends are. And like, remember dad, that guy you married? He's pretty cool too. And then they discuss his budding musical career and everything's all hunky-dory until we move on over to the Pembroke where we learn that Veronica's testimony on her father's behalf might have actually worked. And he might be coming home to Riverdale. Uh-oh. Madoff has made off. The juice is loose. Andy Dufresne has crawled out of the poop tunnel. Other prison words. <laughs> I don't know. So even though Veronica testified on Hiram's behalf, she's still worried that he might be tied to Jason Blossom's murder. But Hermione wants none of that shit in her life. She's like, shut it down. We are not talking about this anymore. I can't hear it. So Veronica teams up with Alice Cooper to investigate the murder by turning their attention to sometimes train wreck, sometimes salt of the earth gentleman F.P. Jones. And this week, Juggy's gonna be soups impressed with his dad. And their bond is going to be one for the ages. When previously, Homie was living in a janitor's closet so he wouldn't have to be exposed to his father's drunken disorderly behavior. I, I mean, what? FP has, he's even read Jughead's manuscript and he thinks it's amazing, but wishes Jughead would just drop it. Which, I mean, makes FP look super suspicious this early on in the episode. Um, we go to school, Archie and Veronica try to hash out, like, the boundaries of the relationship, and it's all very sweet, and, oh, I don't know, I really like you, I think you could be boyfriend material, and, yeah, let's do that, but, Archie, I'm in a weird place with my parents, but anyway, as if they won't be going steady soon, Veronica, I mean, like, we all know better, <laughs> we see you too, it's gonna happen. Obviously, the alliance between Veronica and Alice is unbeknownst to Betty and Jughead, so Veronica recruits Archie, you know, for Jughead's protection. And not just be because Veronica needs a peer, another kid, to be her partner, and everyone else either sucks or is too close to FP. Archie only agrees to help once Jughead says to him that he's thinking about moving back in with his dad because he tidied up the trailer once and shaved. He shaved, Archie! Obviously, that means he's practically Mr. Rogers now. Come on. We all know that CVS won't sell you a Bic or a Gillette Mach 3 unless, unless you've totally turned your life around. Jeez. Let <laughs> me get this scene where instead of sitting in the cafeteria like last episode, the gang is outside at a picnic table during lunch, even though there's snow on the ground and it's so cold. They're all in their heavy winter coats when they can just like go inside and eat in the calf. Like it's, it's fine. Just go inside. You won't have to be all like bulked up. This set must have been like being used for Supergirl or something. I don't know. But 
Archie asks Betty, who, even though she's drowning in responsibilities, and girl, I can relate, she's the head of the homecoming committee, and if he could just sing some songs at the dance, and they all share some uncomfortable glances when Betty tries to explain that Archie's songs are amazing, but they just... Dot, 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 when Jughead chimes in with, make you want to slit your wrist, but in a good way. <laughs> you know, like the original Broadway cast recording of Dear Evan Hansen that I listen to when I need a good shower cry, because, oh my god. That, I could, like, be in Disneyland or some other place that's the happiest place on earth, and I could hear... um so big, so small, I think is what it's called. I don't know. The whew, the one where the mom's singing to Evan and she's like, and then you asked if another truck would come tomorrow and take mommy away. And I lose my shit. Like I'm starting to tear up now just thinking about it. I haven't even seen the show. I <laughs> just have the album. And anyway, kind of like that, Archie, your songs are kind of downers. Veronica says that, oh, not to worry. She and Archie were planning on doing a duet something upbeat and this comes as a surprise to Archie so he and Veronica like go into one of the many empty classrooms available at student lounge high and Veronica emotionally manipulates Archie into doing her bidding for Alice Cooper's big scheme he wants to just go to Jughead with her theories about her dad and FP but she reminds him that Jughead could get wrapped up in something very sticky and something very dangerous like a maple syrup mousetrap. Okay, I made that last part up, but had she said it, I wouldn't bat an eye at this point in the series because that sounds exactly like something they would say. And we get Riverdale. All right, so after commercial, we get a fun scene with Hermione and Mary at the construction site. Not much to report on there. They just both have a shared adoration of Fred. And I mean, don't we all, ladies? Don't we all? Later, there is an interesting scene where Fred and Mary are trying to decide which takeout to get for dinner and if there's more than one restaurant in this town because I don't understand where are they getting this takeout from. Where is Moon Palace? Huh? When are we going to see that restaurant? Archie comes home and it makes him feel really uncomfortable to have his parents acting like everything is normal. Jughead comes in because, oh yeah, he lives here too now. And he can tell shit's weird and tries to bail, saying that he obviously walked in on a family moment, but they make him stay. Mary then informs Fred that she invited Hermione to accompany them both to the homecoming dance. And Archie's surprised that his parents are coming to the dance at all. And I mean, as if you wouldn't have all of your central cast at a town event, like... In a show like this, of course he will. I mean, has he never watched Gossip Girl? They have an event literally every episode that the entire cast goes to. Anyway, but they both just want to see him play his music because they're good parents and they don't have nefarious reasons for going to things. They're not trying to shake somebody down or hide murder evidence or, you know, Fred and Mary are just good people. That's all. Anyway, before all of this, at the school gym while decorations are being hung up, Jughead runs in and he is just such an excited puppy because Alice has invited him and his dad over for dinner. When he asks Betty why she isn't excited, she just says, she is, but you know, plates are spinning. 
one of my favorite Betty lines, by the way. <laughs> I really like that, probably because I can relate so much. Um, so let's let's just cut to this whole plot. Like, let's just get to it. The plan is that Archie and Veronica will break into the newly cleaned trailer to look for clues like fucking Fred and Daphne in the B-plot of a Scooby-Doo episode. And FP won't be home because Alice has invited him and Jughead over for dinner. Betty sees right through that shit and knows that Alice will be using this entrapment dinner to interrogate FP. But let's Jughead go on to believe that Alice is doing this as a way of accepting their like budding teen relationship. During this dinner from the damned, we'll just we'll just get it out of the way while we're talking about it. FP does look incredibly good when he's like clean shaven and he's not obviously trying to find the bottom of a bottle of brown liquor. And Alice just hammers him for every detail of his life from his employment history to practically like the last time he popped a zit on the third quadrant of his left ass cheek. Like she is just cutting. She will not let up. Don't worry about being inconspicuous or anything, Alice. I mean, Jesus. And just when she starts to get like truly awful, Betty parries with an attack of her own. She's invited her dad to this dinner. Take that, Alice. The man who wanted your daughter to get an abortion and fired you from your job where you're like the only good person who works there. Yeah. Solid move on paper, Betty, but kind of a dick move nonetheless. Like, Hal is not a good guy. <laughs> Hal asks FP if Sunnyside Trailer Park has any vacancies because it's getting awfully cold sleeping at the register office since Alice chunked a brick through the plate glass window. <laughs> She's like, if you don't shut your fucking mouth, I'll throw a brick at your head. <laughs> Family dinners. Oh, I'm so entertaining. <laughs> FP sees through all of Alice's bullshit, though, and shares a story from when our gang's parents were all in high school and the Fredheads were set to perform for the homecoming dance and FP overheard Hal and Alice loudly arguing about something or someone. He wasn't sure what. And Alice clams up and tells him not to say anything and he's like, okay, I will if you will, bitch. And I just want to know, what happened? Did the Coopers murder someone in high school? Was Alice pregnant? Did Hal cheat on his algebra test? Like, what? What happened? I need a flashback episode more than I need oxygen in my lungs. I need it so much more than a musical episode. Oh, please. So FP warns Alice to not screw with him and... With that, dinner is officially a bust, so he takes Betty and Jughead to the dance in his old-timey truck. Guess they're gonna have to skip that peach pie. Back at the trailer, Archie and Veronica use the hide-a-key that is in the same place as when Archie and Jughead were kids, and you know, Archie would sneak out to go to Jughead's treehouse that has never been mentioned or seen again since we discovered that Jughead grew up on the south side in a trailer park. But sure, fine, whatever. <laughs> Archie and Veronica have not found a single clue, not even Jason's Letterman jacket, which was FP's like big insurance policy or whatever, which Archie thinks is a win that they haven't found anything. But Veronica is obviously troubled because her gut told her that FP was somehow involved. Like she knows that he is involved somehow because she saw him talk to her dad one, or to her mom one time. And I bet if anything, that big mouth Billy Bass plaque on the wall 
I bet he knows some shit. <laughs> I bet he could let some secrets slide. Anyway, and, oh, and I didn't know where to put this because we're we're gonna get into the big thick of it in a second. But I would be amiss if I didn't mention the Kevin scene where at the dance we get this really fun scene where Kevin is just trying to dance with his boyfriend like a normal high school student. But people keep coming up to him and asking where, like, you know, other people are. And he's like, you all need tracking devices. And just as he tells Jughead that, he then spots his dad, you know, the sheriff, at the dance. So he bails on Joaquin. And Joaquin does that meme where, like, Homer Simpson just backs into the bushes. <laughs> he does that all the way out of the chip. He's like, peace. <laughs> you can't see me. I'm leaving now. Archie and Veronica leave the Jones trailer and head to the dance where Betty sees them across the gym, chattering with her... Chattering. Jeez, it's been a long day. Sees them chatting with her mom and is like, oh my god, I don't fucking think so. If she were Olivia Pope, she would have power walked up to Alice and said, what did you do? But instead, she gets caught up with Principal Weatherby and Mayor McCoy, and they're just, like, talking, 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 and she's like, uh, I've got bigger fish to fry. <laughs> Can you two shut up? And so she's going to have to later confront Archie and Veronica in the hallway because they got to go do music things. This hallway set gets so much action in this episode. So after, after the music thing, which we'll touch on, don't worry, Betty is pissed that Veronica and Archie had the audacity to be super sleuths when that's her and Jughead's thing. OMG, get your own thing. Gosh. <laughs> Jughead eventually joins them, and when Betty tells him what Veronica and Archie did, he very unfairly villainizes Betty because of what the other two did. <laughs> His logic is that since she knew that the dinner was just a way for her mom to shake down his dad, she is just as bad as Ronnie and Archie for breaking and entering. But no, man, I don't think so. And before Betty can tell him to calm his fucking tits, she didn't do anything wrong. Five more people joined the hallway. So we get Fred, Mary, Alice, Hermione, and Kevin. And they break the news that FP has just been arrested for the murder of Jason Blossom. And the exact facial expression that Cole Sprouse makes is da, da, da. and then he runs out the door <laughs> all the way back to the trailer to find it where the cops trashed it. And then he trashes it some more out of extreme teenage angst. Poor kid. I honestly can't even imagine what that would feel like. I do feel bad for him, especially since he's super close to his dad this episode. That makes it even harder. I wondered what went quiet just there, like what noise stopped in my house. And it's the baby monitor. The baby monitor just died. So I hope she's okay until I can plug it in. I'm sure she's fine. I mean, she's three. Like she can handle almost anything at this point. She's better at life than I am. Anyway, I digress. So then we get kind of like, you know, towards the end of every episode, we get like a cut scene where it's just like, okay, we're going to hit this family and then this family and then this family and this family, like all within a minute. So Veronica and Hermione agree to cut out Hiram if it turns out that he did hire FP to kill Jason. Betty and Alice fight and we get some real bad bitch Betty and she stands up to her mom and it's fucking awesome. Um, Mary wants Archie to come back to Chicago with her before Riverdale slides off a mountain because... 
one crime has happened. So yeah, go to Chicago. That's gonna make it better. Um, Cheryl uses a compact mirror to see if Polly is breathing because honestly, with that personality, how would you even know? Penelope wants to see FP killed for what he supposedly did to Jason and Clifford gives her his word that he'll make that happen. And don't worry, we're gonna touch on all the Blossom stuff is coming later. I just like, again, we couldn't like do the Betty stuff, the Archie Veronica stuff, the Polly stuff and, and have it make sense. Like I've, I've thought about it way too much. But anyway, apparently what, what we've essentially learned is that after Veronica and Archie left the trailer and headed to the dance, Sheriff Keller got a tip to search FP's trailer. And there they found a lockbox containing the gun that killed Jason. And Archie and Veronica are like, what? No, I don't think so. We searched that bitch high and low. The murder weapon had to have been planted there in between when Archie and Veronica left after they fucking killed their cover of Kids in America. That was so awesome. It was complete with a Eddie Van Halen style guitar spin, like, you know, around Archie's body from KJ. Like, it was so good. And I know, like, Eddie Van Halen is KJ Appa's hero because, you know, the whole guitar thing and they're super talented and say what you will about the, um, the original songs that, that they write on this show. And you're probably right. But this cover of Kids in America was actually really badass. And I'm super proud of them. That was super fun. And probably my favorite part of that whole musical scene is when they would do crowd shots. So you'd see like the parents all getting into it. Like even Alice is clapping and, and they cut to like, you know, the kids and, you know, in this crowd of all the extras who are like jumping and dancing and stuff, you get like Betty and Jughead and Betty just has like fire eyes. <laughs> like she's going to burn that gym down with her eyes. And Jughead's like slightly amused. He's like, huh, how about that? my bro isn't half bad. <laughs> and you cut like, you know, some more music stuff, then you go to Cheryl. She's just standing like a statue stock still in the middle of all these kids having fun. And then she walks out and does this like incredible twirl over the school seal. Like, oh, <laughs> so dramatic. Oh, I love it. Anyway, great, great musical number. But so the whole point of this is that clearly FP is being framed. So we'll move on to the C-plot. Polly has been trying to sneak around on her own like super sleuthing mission as if she isn't pregnant with twins. And if this were real life, she would be the approximate size of a school bus. But of course it's TV and it's like barely a pillow under her dress. In her quest for intel on the Blossom family, she discovers a whole room that is just wigs for Clifford Blossom to wear. An entire wig closet. Why? Why do you need more than two? I mean, you know, you have the one because you're embarrassed that you have white hair or whatever. And sure, have a spare in case one needs to go into the wash after you accidentally drop it into the goat's blood from your evil sacrifice, which is what I assume Clifford and Penelope do for fun. But an entire room's worth? Sir. That cannot be fiscally smart. Wigs are not cheap. And I highly doubt Clifford Blossom is running around with some like synthetic hair bullshit. No, I don't think so. Those are that's like three grand worth of wigs in that room. <laughs> Just so he can have one for every mood. Bro, 
I don't think so. And you only have one mood. Shady. <laughs> that's that's your only mode. You just you're just always shady. You're indignant and like creepily happy when things go wrong for other people. There's not a huge range of emotions for Clifford Blossom. Clifford sees Polly peeking in his wig room and slams the door in her face. Later, Penelope brings Polly her daily strawberry milkshake. So obviously she's poisoning her because duh, I've seen TV before. And I've been pregnant and not once did someone knock on my bedroom door with a strawberry milkshake on a silver platter. If they had, I probably would have cried and then hugged them until their ribs broke because that is the true care an expectant mother wants and needs. Not to be told she needs to eat more spinach and lay off the Oreos, you fucking fascist. Jeez, bring me a milkshake. It's a long time ago, but <laughs> you know, should it ever happen again, I need some strawberry milkshakes, preferably on silver platters, minus the poison. Thank you very much. Anyway, Penelope channels her inner enchanted piece of furniture and tells Polly that the East Wing, where she and Mr. Blossom have our sleeping quarters, aka sex dungeon and wig room, are strictly off limits because they're the goddamn beast and she's poor knocked up teen mom Belle in this weird rendition of Beauty and the Beast. <sighs> Naturally, it doesn't take long for Polly to convince Cheryl to go straight into the beast lair with her while Ginger, Gomez, and Marticia are out of the house to Polly and Cheryl to find accessories for their ensemble since the theme for the dance is blast from the past. So they're going to find some of Penelope's vintage shit. I don't know. So they get ready for the homecoming dance in the wig room like one is wont to do. <laughs> Cheryl tells us that legend has it that Clifford's hair turned white overnight. Supposedly, he saw the ghost of great grandpappy Blossom with his throat slit. Sounds plausible. <laughs> I, I love that it's a legend. When shouldn't she remember this as like a fact from her childhood? Or did this happen before her and Jason were born? Like, that's so silly. Oh, and Polly is going to be Cheryl's date because Cheryl doesn't have any friends. And she hopes that the student body will take Polly as the next best thing to Jason so Cheryl can get their votes for homecoming queen. I mean, come on. If they don't like you. They don't like you. You can't make them suddenly like you in one night. And also, you vote during the school week and homecoming queen is announced at the game. Like, that's... I have never been to... A school or heard of another school who does their homecoming queen at the dance prom yes but homecoming is a lot about the football game like that's kind of a big deal so while they're playing makeover and dress up Cheryl finds the engagement ring that Jason gave Polly and this sends Polly into a total spiral she is like aha the only way your family would have this is if they murdered Jason and stole it off his dead body and Cheryl turns vicious and grabs her hand because, like, you can't out crazy Cheryl Blossom Polly, even if you were in, like, an actual loony bin. I mean, come on. I mean, even if you think she's crazier than a serial killer on bath salts, you can't beat Cheryl in the crazy game. You just can't. So Cheryl grabs Polly's hand and says that even though Polly's carrying precious cargo. If she thinks those babies are going to keep her safe, she is in for a rude awakening. And you're like, damn, 
do not try to take jewelry from Cheryl. Jeez, I mean, her parents are awful, but woof. So later, Penelope claims very unconvincingly that the ring was given to her and Clifford after Jason died or some bullshit. I'm on to you, Penelope, because that, that doesn't even sound right. So then she poisons Polly some more, this time knocking her out cold and ruining Cheryl's chance to have a seat at the homecoming court. I mean, rude. Like that was even going to work anyway. Cheryl. After her parents talk her off the ledge about being pissed for them rendering Polly unconscious, because I mean, she is carrying her beloved brother spawns. They ask her where the ring is now. And this time it's Cheryl's turn to lie really badly. <laughs> and she tells him that she flushed this key piece of evidence down the toilet. Obviously she hasn't because again, we've all seen TV before. We, we get this flash of her doing it, but like we, we can even tell like by the lighting that it's not real. But this has really impressed Clifford though. He says that all this time he spent grooming Jason to take over their maple syrup empire, which is so obviously a thing, you guys. He should have been grooming Cheryl. And we talk about emotional manipulation. Good grief, these parents. Oh, we missed some very interesting stuff in Jughead's plot. So... As FP is dropping the kids off at the dance, Betty waits for Jughead at the front of the school with a clear umbrella that has just appeared out of nowhere to protect her silver dress from the rain, while a hipster cover of Betty Davis Eyes plays on the soundtrack. Almost too on the nose, but haunting enough to work. I, it's a good choice, I guess. Jughead hangs back, you know, in the pickup to ask FP if he thinks it would be a good idea for him to come home to the trailer breaking our hearts, FP says that he'll do him one better. What if FP and Chuck had moved to Toledo to live with Mrs. Jones and Jellybean? Because they have a sweet setup there, and he would be able to find decent work in Toledo. <laughs> Chuck is just like, why not Riverdale? Why isn't that a good enough option? And FP is like, uh, that train wreck of a dinner we just had? I mean, <laughs> were you, were you even there? But Jughead, ever the hopeless romantic, looks out the truck's window to gaze upon his girlfriend as she waits for him in the cold rain. <laughs> Girl, just go inside. Wait for him inside. Or Jughead, hurry your ass up so she can get out of the cold rain and before she gets pneumonia. Fred, Hermione, and Mary walk into the dance, and we get a great callback to the pilot when Hermione says, It's not the Met Ball, but it'll do. Just like Veronica said so, so, so long ago. Doesn't the pilot feel like ages ago after all of this plot? Like, there's been so much shit in, in 10 episodes, 11 episodes. Like, gosh. Later, we'll get a good Alice Mary scene in the bathroom where Alice tries to slam Mary for being a polyamorist, which Mary doesn't even think is a real word. And I'm not going to talk shit on polyamory like, you know, you do you. But I don't think that was the point of Mary bringing both Fred and Hermione. Alice hammers on to bully Mary, but you can't pull teenage snark on Molly Ringwald. She is teenage snark. She invented it. So she tells Alice to shut the fuck up. Fred is a grown man and he can do as he pleases. And <clears throat> she just came to the dance to have fun with both of her dates. Before Alice can retort, her cell phone rings, presumably Veronica telling her that FP's trailer is clean. I know 
Okay, and that, I think that covers everything. I mean, and I know, like, we were sort of all over the place with this episode, but honestly, scenes changed so quickly that it was just impossible to go chronologically without being a complete mess. Like, this would have been, like, a four-hour podcast if we had done that. And by mess, I mean even more so than it already is. It's, it's pretty messy. I'm sorry, guys. But anyway, somewhere after we learn that FP was framed at Pops, we get Riverdale, and that, that's our episode. Sorry if I missed something that you really wanted to talk about, but this is a really good episode. Like, I really like this episode, but it's it's really kind of hard to recap because it's just kind of all over the place. So it, it, it kind of feels like a penultimate episode, even though it's not, it's too away from the finale. But to be fair, episode 12 feels a lot like a finale instead of a penultimate episode. So anyway, for the most Archie comic moment, the title of this episode shares its name with a very infamous Archie adaptation. Uh, it's a 1990 made for TV movie. And it's Archie colon to Riverdale and back again. And I've not seen it, but from what I've read, it's a total garbage fire. It's about our gang, the core four, returning to Riverdale for their 15 year reunion. And is that even a thing at the 15 year, like, you know, part of 10 and 20, like, you know, you know, stages of 10 years. Never heard of a 15 year reunion, but if that's a thing, mine's coming up next year and that feels super weird <laughs> Archie is a lawyer <laughs> lol <laughs> Betty is a teacher and okay I can see that but I hope that she does you know some detective work on the side you know because that's like her true calling but teaching is very admirable and Betty would be good at it Jughead is a psychiatrist. Oh my god. Can you even imagine if the beanie clad character that we know and love as Jughead grew up to be a psychologist or a psychiatrist? I mean, Jesus. <laughs> the amount of hours he would have to go through himself before he could give advice. And Veronica is a four-time divorcee, which I guess is an occupation? I don't know. 1990 was a weird time, but I'll be scouring the internet for this, and hopefully I will get to report back soon with, with a recap or a review on what is apparently super bad, <laughs> the super bad Archie adaptation, but I still want to see it. Her best blossom burn this week is when Cheryl is announcing to what I like to refer to as a sad breakfast club that she and Polly will be running for co-queens at homecoming. Betty asks a question and Cheryl answers with, because Nightmare Smurfette. <laughs> I don't even remember what the question or answer was, but that was just the best. Nightmare Smurfette. Get out of town. For good, my good this week. Um, it's a really good episode overall. While the overt theme of this episode is homecoming and returning to your roots. The real theme, in my opinion, is adults manipulating teenagers into doing their bidding and believing in their prerogative. And obviously that's not good in a moral way, but very good in a I like to watch TV. <laughs> I like interesting TV. And so I thought that was, you know, it's fun. 
bad, my bad for this week, is I wish Alice had more of a suave way about getting the answer she wants. Like if she could use some couth, that'd be nice. A skilled journalist like her should be able to pull the answer she wants to her questions while being extra nice and polite. Like she should have other ways of getting the information she needs without just barging in like a battering ram and taking stuff. Like she has zero chill and nobody's going to ever want to talk to her again. Like, you know, yes, you catch more flies with honey and the vinegar. Like you have to build a rapport if you want to get information out of somebody. You can't just go up and start like screaming at them, you know, throwing out these ridiculous questions. My funny for this week, this isn't really a funny haha, but it just always makes me smile to see Mr. I'm a weirdo, Mr. Doom and Gloom Jughead get excited about being invited to his girlfriend's house for dinner. Sweet baby. I just love him. If I was in the writer's room this week, changes I would have made, I would have had more Kevin scenes. He had like two lines in this episode, and that's not enough. If Casey Cott is on set, they need to utilize him more. Hashtag justice for Kevin. Like, it's a shame the talent and the wit and the delivery he has as that character. We just don't get enough of it. We just don't get to see him really thrive with some good dialogue. You know, it's really few and far in between. Um, okay, so for theories, who, who framed Roger Rabbit? <laughs> in this case, F.P. Jones. Hal, Alice, the Blossoms, Vegas the Dog. Who even knows? Could Miss Grundy have come back into town and framed FP? God, I hope not. <laughs> I hope I don't have to say her name ever again. Sabrina news this week. So as of press time, it's April 16th, 2018, 10, p.m. If you need to know, Central Standard Time. Bronson Pinchot, who... If you are my age or older, you would remember him as Balky on Perfect Strangers and later as Jean-Luc in the crappier later seasons of Step by Step. Um, if you're younger, <laughs> if you're under 30 and you don't know any of the words I just said, <laughs> you will know him as the voice of like all the cartoons, like all of them. Like Seriously, <laughs> I think there's a lot of Wild Thornberries, some uh, Johnny Bravo, um, a lot of Cartoon Network cartoons on his IMDb page, but I remember him as Balky. <laughs> like, I was really little when Perfect Strangers was on, but I love me some goddamn Balky. Anyway, he's been cast as the villainous Principal Hawthorne, so that should be very exciting, because I feel like most of us really only know him in, like, sillier roles, and I bet he could be a real creep. So that's exciting. Um, for Skeet's Dadgram Corner, since this episode dealt with Betty having too much on her plate, like that was kind of a, a recurring motif, I'm picking a gram that Lily Reinhardt posted on April 6th of a quote by R.H. Sin, I think, that says, quote, she's strong, but she's tired, end quote. And Skeet's comment was, enjoy the break, dot, 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 when it starts. 
three exclamation points, arm flex emoji. <laughs> okay, Skeet. Whatever you say. Oh my gosh, he's such a dad. All right, pals, I think that's it for today. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. If you want to create a dialogue about any of the episodes that have aired for Riverdale, you can reach me at Shreebi on Twitter and Instagram. I changed my Instagram user ID to Shreebi to match my Twitter handle to lessen confusion, mostly for my sake, so I don't have to say two different things. Um, if you name it, spell it. It's C-H-E-R-I-E-E-B-E-E. -E -E -E. So my name that you should see on the cover of your podcast album plus B E E like the the B that stings you. Um I had a wonderful chat with a British fan, Helen, on Twitter earlier this week. She had some very kind words that made my whole day. Um and I'm super interested in a Brit's take or any other non-Americans take on Riverdale since the Archie comics have always been sort of crammed down our throats here across the pond as being all American or whatever. So like, I'm, I'm super interested to know, like, what kind of history you have with it. Like, how silly is it if you don't, like, have any essence of the comics to pull from? Because I know, it, like, it's really cheesy, but it feels like it fits in that comic setting when, when it's cheesy like that. So, I don't know. I'm just super interested to hear. So, if you have any hot takes... Send them to me via social media, or you can send them to realhousewivesofriverdale at gmail.com. Don't hesitate to call me out if you think I missed something in the recaps, or if you think you curated a better blossom burn or skeet comment, because I don't always get to see the skeet comments. Like sometimes I kind of have to search them out when I get on cast members' pages. Instagram hasn't figured out that like that's a, one of the bigger reasons why I follow the cast is to see his comments, their pictures. But um, a lot of times I, I see them. But if if there's one that where he's like in Bermuda shorts and like black socks and sandals and I don't talk about it that week, send it to me. Oh <laughs> God, I need to see that. I need that in my life. Okay, so... <laughs> Um, or if you have an Archie comic moment, if you're like a big Archie comics fan and if you're like, oh my God, idiot, that's why they said this or that's why they did that. Let me know because like I think all of that is super cool. So let's talk about it. I hope you'll tune in next week when we discuss the season one penultimate episode, chapter 12, Anatomy of a Murder. We'll make the winter springtime and jingle jangle sing time right on to the summer and the fall.